Introducing the new Starbucks Pistachio Cream Cold Brew. Silky Pistachio Cream Cold Foam tops our bold, smooth cold brew for a delicious twist on a favorite winter flavor. Make today a good day. Order ahead on the Starbucks app. Hello and welcome to the Song Facts Podcast. I am your host, Corey O'Flanagan, and as always, this podcast is proudly a part of the Pantheon Podcast Network. If you're listening, we appreciate you. Go ahead, leave us a five-star review. If you want to let me know about a band or act or songwriter that you think I should be chatting with, check out the show notes. You've got my Twitter at OFE1818 and let me know about it. I am always looking for new music and if it came from you, well, that's even better. Ten years ago, BJ Barham and his band American Aquarium were about to call it quits. They'd been touring nationally at small clubs and had seemingly plateaued in their growth as a band which had been going on for about six years at that point. They'd written some new tunes and decided to hop into a studio with Jason Isbell to record what they thought would be their swan song album. As BJ describes in this episode of the Song Facts podcast, things changed after that. When I press him on what he thinks happened, he points to writing songs for himself rather than trying to give something he thought listeners might want. Ten years later, an American Aquarium is still going strong. They're about to release their latest album, Chikamako Miko. Yes, that's the name of it. Look it up. It is just as fun to say it as it is to listen to. And they're starting a massive summer tour with a headlining slot at Nashville's Ryman Auditorium. I'm sure this tour is making a stop close to you, so please check it out and enjoy this conversation with BJ Barham of American Aquarium. September, I've been cursed with this clarity. Got a stare in the mirror, yelling at a stranger looking back at me. And the ghost of the man I could have been still haunts all my dreams. These days, things don't come easy. All right, let's jump into this. You've got this amazing new song, Wildfire. Set my world on fire, babe. Sat back and watched it burn. A single spark on the summer plains ignites the dark into a field of dancing flames. We gave in to the simplest of desire and watched that spark. Thanks. You've written what could possibly be one of the better like reasons for writing a song that I've seen recently that that uh, your publicist was nice enough to send over in the bio. And you're quoting this saying that this song is a song about love that burns too strong. And then um, and then obviously just never wanting something to like that to end. But, you know, it must. So that leads me to ask, what was going on in your life that kind of brought these emotions and thoughts on? Um, I've had I've had a few of these situations throughout my life. And that's the cool thing about a songwriter is everybody thinks that just because it's a new song, it's a current emotion. Um, the, the cool thing about uh, songwriters is we get to compartmentalize a lot of this stuff. Um, 
and we get to go through these experiences, um, kind of wrap it up my bow, put it on a shelf, uh, and come back when we need it. Um, and or come, I, I take that back. It's not come back when we need it. It's come back when we're ready to deal with it. Um, and so for me, it was. I've had a few of these situations to where you know you're you're you've you're in this thing and it's very short lived, but it's extremely uh, passionate while it's that thing. Yeah. Um, and both of you know, like this can't this can't last. Like there's no way it's too volatile. Like that. The, like the reason it works now is the reason it can't work long term. Yeah. Um, kind of thing. And so this record is about loss in so many different capacities. And I think that that song is about, um, I wanted to, I wanted to write a relationship song. This, this, this record is extremely personal. This song is, this record is a lot about a lot of the stuff that I've went through. And I kind of wanted to have a couple songs on this record that were universal. And I think anybody, um, that has lived a pretty full life, uh, this song resonates with them. I think everybody's had that, you know, the classic one that got away kind of thing. The one that, you know, 20 years later, you're still thinking about every now and then, or you're still checking up on their Facebook to see how they're doing. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, the people that you're, you know why it didn't work for you, but still 20 years later, you question like, man, why didn't that work? Uh, and I've always loved the imagery. Um, I've, I've had the idea written down for quite a while. Just, you know, the idea of being consumed by this, this thing. Uh, this really big thing. And we've got a really cool music video coming out in a couple of weeks for it that I think kind of visually explains where I was going with the music. We got this claymation video coming out. Oh, that's fun. Um, in like a couple of weeks. That's pretty, pretty like her, uh, uh, her name's Hannah and she's, she's, she's done a few videos for us, but it kind of encapsulates what I was feeling when I wrote this record is, is you walk into the scenario thinking it's one thing and then all of a sudden you leave and you're just engulfed in it. And you're like, oh, this was not supposed to be this complex or this dangerous or this, you know, time consuming. Yeah. You're the um, second person that I've spoken with who's written a song kind of with this idea of fires in mind. And that this this um, amazing woman out in L.A., her name's Misty Boyce. She and um, a friend of hers wrote a song called The Clearing. And I would point you to go and like look that up and listen to it it's just this beautiful their, their harmonies are just unbelievable on it but then lyrically it's so strong too and it's kind of that same idea of wipe it out and then underbrush gonna grow back stronger hopefully and that kind of mentality and I, I don't know I think that this kind of visual representation of these fires which are like very prominent in today's world um, and in our face all the time is just a really strong message to put out there. And for me, where it brought me to when you were talking about when I was listening to the song was, I've done a lot of travel. I've been fortunate to, enough to do a lot of travel. And I was, I'm really interested in how when you travel, and I'm sure that this is kind of the same thing when you're on tour, you form these relationships, these bonds with people from town to town, wherever you go really quickly. And you kind of have to, like you have to let people in and be around people that are going to let you in knowing like, I'm leaving tomorrow. So like, yeah, let's yeah. just get deep into this conversation right away. Yeah. It's, I, I think with a lot of time fire is looked at as this destructive device. And I think this is a song I wanted to use fire as a cleansing device. I like it. Not a, not a destructive thing, but like a, like it's a, it's a cleansing fire. It's not a, it's not a, a devastating fire. No one, no one's losing life here. It's not, nobody's losing the farm here. 
Um, it's, it's, it's a, it's a, I'm not going to say a good fire, but, but I'm going to say a good fire. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I, once I got the, the chorus was the first thing I wrote. Um, and then I wrote the first line and I realized like, okay, like this guy, like, I, I love the imagery of painting this, this, this character as this hardened dude, comparing him to a tree, this old tree that's set in his ways, that is not moving, that does not, is not uh, going to be a recipient to new ideas, um, and all of us, and, and has come to terms with it. Has come to terms with just being the old single tree in the middle of the woods, and and then having this one thing come along that changes his mind, and is he's willing to completely give it all up for. Um, that's a powerful image for me. So it was it was really easy once I had, you know, once you know what the story is, it's easy to write the story. Oh, um, for 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 creatives like you, it is. <laughs> uh, we, we all have we all have our gifts, you know. Well, we all have we all have that thing we're supposed to do while we're here on this earth, and and I've been lucky to to have the power of of, of putting things into words. And, yeah. Um, there's a lot of things I can't do um, that most people I think should know how to do. Yeah. Uh, and I think I gave up that. Like it's a it's a the the jar can only hold so much water kind of scenario where. You know, I've got what I've got, and I don't know if I'm going to learn a, a lot new task, a lot, lot more tasks. But I'm very happy with the fact that I can kind of take these really big life situations and shrink them down into um, these uh, uh, two and a half minute uh, <laughs> digestible, you know, things. Like absolutely it, taking big emotions and making them three verses in a chorus. I think that's important. I, I think that's an important job to have, and I don't take that job, you know, lightly. I think I, it's a uh, I well, I appreciate it. I think that, you know, for, for a listener, I, I really appreciate that because I, I think that people do think a lot of times like, oh, it's just so easy, but you can't, you can't just say that. Like it's a gift, but as well as like, you know, you're woodshedding a lot. You put a lot of time and practice into this over the years. So it's not just something that just like, you just wake up and write an amazing song. Like, no, there's, you know, a thousand shitty lyrics out there that are just like, those did not work out, but it got me to this. Which... Yeah, it's I always I always equate it to it's a craft, um, and nobody starts a craft being amazing at it unless you're John Prine. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, nobody comes out with debut records that are 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 perfect um, unless you're John Prine. Um, but yeah, it's like it's like cabinet makers. I always I, that's my always my analogy is like there's no cabinet maker right now. Like I've been doing this for 16 years, so I would love to meet a cabinet maker who's been doing building cabinets for 16 years. He won't show me his first set of cabinets. No, he won't show me a second set of cabinets. But guess what? You can buy my first set of cabinets on iTunes. <laughs> like like it, and it's it's still out there in the rawest form, like all of the 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 dinks and the dings and the and the cheesy cliches and uh it's a you know i look back at that kind of stuff like it was a kid trying to find a voice yeah that's all it was and you're throwing as much of your influence at the wall as you can and seeing what sticks and occasionally you throw two of your influences together and they smash together and it, it comes off as like almost an original idea and you're like oh that's kind of what my voice is turning into it's like a mixture between this and this um, and I think that's the, that, that, that's the part that keeps me in it. That's the part that like the growth of songwriting, um, 16 years into this game, like I'm not at the point where I think I want to be, but I think I'm at hmm. a point where I'm, I'm really proud of like as, as a songwriter, Interesting. I think I've got a, I've, I've got a very, very good, like uh, bird's eye view. I'm really good at kind of removing myself from the current situation and looking down on it. 
And I realized like, okay, you've got a voice, like you've already established what your voice is. How do you push that in a different direction? Hmm, and I, I like I, that. I think that's the part where a lot of people don't do. Like once you find your voice, once you find something that resonates with a large group of people, there's a lot of artists that will never deter from that. They're like, this is what, this is successful. I'm going to keep doing this. I'm going to make the same record for 10 years. Yeah. And I think it's important that once you find your voice, then you try to push that voice into as many different corners as you can to see if it can go there, to see if it can be a folk voice, if it can be a country voice, if it can be a rock voice, if it can be something that you can't put into a shoebox. Um, yeah. That's where I'm at in my career is the, I found my voice about 10 years ago, like how I write, what I write, where my strengths are, where my weaknesses are. And now it's just about trying to see how um, adaptive that voice is. Yeah. You and Madonna, you guys are the chameleons. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's talk about the um, the album release. I'm going to let you say the name first so that I can play off of that because I've been trying to figure out how to say this word for the last couple of days and have not quite gotten there, I don't think. So the album is called? Chickamacomico. 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 Pretty much just uh, how it's spelt, so that's not that bad. Yeah, it's it, 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 it's a doozy because it's a lot of vowels, and I yeah. think a lot of vowels throw people off sometimes, um, but if you just go through it phonetically, uh, uh, it's funny. A lot of our fans have been posting what Google calls it. Oh, no. Like, if you're like, <laughs> hey, Alexa, play Chickamacomico, and she'll be like, playing Chickamacomico. Oh, and technically, phonetically, it's right, and I'm like... Yeah. Oh, Alexa, stop. Uh, Alexa was trying to play. I guess she heard me talking. Oh, that's room. amazing. <laughs> so she, she's, trying, she's, she's doing the trick now. Um, but yeah, the, some people call it Chickamacomico. Uh, a lot of, I, I put out a bunch of pronunciation videos over the last six months since we announced the title, but just Chickamacomico. Chickamacomico. Okay, so Chickamacomico is coming out June 10th. Happens June to be 10th. my wedding anniversary. So it's a big day for both of us. Heck yeah. Um, I encourage anyone that's listening to go and check it out. I've been listening to it since I got it sent to me two days ago, top to bottom. You've done a great job on this record. I'm just seriously really impressed with just like the flow, the song choice, the the order of everything. I just think it's such a nice album top to bottom. You guys, upon release, are headlining the Ryman in Nashville. Yeah. I just got to ask, what does that opportunity mean to you? Uh, you know, as when you start off, you think it's kind of an unattainable goal. Like everybody wants to play the rhyme. That's what I would think. It's the mother church. It's, it's every artist that has ever mattered has played there or headlined there. Um, so to finally be at a point in our career to where it's an achievable goal, it feels really great. Um, it, it, you know, it's a real, you know, anytime you put in a lot of work, it's always nice to get those pats on the back. And this is definitely a pat on the back saying, good job, kid. Like yeah. you're here, you get to, you know, and I told the band, I'm like, we might, like, if we don't ever get asked to play it again, we got to play it once. I was yeah. like, <laughs> I, I was like, I was like, soak it up boys. Like, I don't know if we're going to be doing like any like Jason Isbell eight night stands or anything at the Ryman, but soak this one up. Cause this is, this is, you know, there's, I'd say less than 1% of people that ever pick up a guitar or get to headline the Ryman. There you go. I think that's um, a really good perspective. And I, th- and, and, you know, I, I, I've early when I was young, I was full of like, I want this, I want that. I want this. 
And I think I'm at a point in my life where I appreciate this and I appreciate that and I appreciate this opportunity. Um, I'm at a point now where I'm, I'm really soaking in any step forward, any, any movement up that mountain we get, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful for. And right. uh, instead of wishing what the next step is, I'm trying to focus on more enjoying the current step. I think that that's a huge thing because you can get so lost in just being like goal reached, what's next, instead of just being like goal reached let's just enjoy this for a second. I think, yeah, I, think I wish we, more people would live in the present like that. Yeah. I think we live in such a, we live in a cr kind of crazy social environment to where we're constantly bombarded with other people doing other things that we want to do or taking those steps before we're ready to take those steps. And we're constantly on a daily basis. We log into devices that make us feel less than. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> so, so by choice, <laughs> by choice, like we actively <laughs> go online to be told that we're not, we haven't done this yet and we haven't, <laughs> We're not playing this festival and we're not this high on the billboard charts. Oh. Um, and it's this constant comparative. And I think it's, it's always good to take a step back and appreciate what you have. It's like our band has been together for 16 years. We have 16 records. Uh, we're in a tour bus. We're playing some of the nicest venues in the country. Um, we have fans. People show up and sing our songs. Um, we're not uh, selling out the Enormo Dome in town but we're doing okay for ourselves, And I think a lot of people need to take that step back and realize that their current spot is, is good enough. It is yeah. it, it, no matter what Instagram tells you, it is good enough. <laughs> you know, I, there's a, there's another podcast I listened to that uh, the armchair expert with Dax Shepard. And he says he does that a lot in his life. Cause he's like, I haven't achieved all the stuff that I thought I would, but if I go, if I tell myself to like, go back to 12 year old Dax and say, what here's what you're going to do you're going to you're, you're going to be given 25 million dollars to write and direct your own movie at some point you're going to marry an amazing woman have two amazing kids and you're going to have this podcast where you get to talk to people like barack obama and all this and it pays you well enough and you can do whatever you want in life 12 year old dax would be like oh hell yeah and i think that kind of thing to like really put it in that kind of perspective is just so important and i really like that yeah it's it's it, it I, and I, I can't I can't speak like I'm this like great thinker because like I spent years comparing and then it, it was it was nothing but bringing me down it was it was mm -hmm. a it had a negative effect on my my creative output and the minute that I took kind of like this this solace in you know what you've reached a level that a lot of people are never going to reach like be thankful in it and, yeah. and and operate in that territory operate thankfully not uh wanting something gratitude um, people it's life-changing i'm telling yeah, you being content is one of the greatest things that like 20 year old me could not be content at anything <laughs> like as i approach 40 i am content uh at my where i'm at like i'm excited don't get me wrong please don't mishear that as i don't want to go any further um but i've reached this level of like if this is as good as it gets man it's it's pretty cool <laughs> yeah 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 the yeah. foot's still on the gas but you're you know you're you're rolling down then you're happy with uh with yeah. where you've gotten so far on the road trip exactly stay tuned for more song facts podcast right after this song facts podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. guys it's been a few months now we've been talking about BetterHelp for a while and it's something that's really important to me i think that mental health awareness goes under the radar and is looked at as more of a weakness and i want to try and help be a proponent of making it a strength 
Going and getting yourself mentally right is so important. Without a healthy mind, being truly happy is difficult. But the good news is that therapy works. But what is therapy exactly? It's whatever you want it to be. Maybe you're just not feeling motivated and you need some tools to help. Or maybe you're feeling insecure in relationships or at work. Whatever you need, it's time to stop being ashamed of normal human struggles and just start feeling better because you deserve to be happy. And now you don't have to worry about finding an in-person therapist near you to help. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist, so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. Join the millions of people who are seeing what online therapy is really about. And a special offer to Song Facts podcast listeners. You can get 10% off your first month of professional therapy at betterhelp.com slash songfacts. That's betterhelp.com slash songfacts. I'd like to thank BetterHelp one more time for sponsoring this podcast. Get your song facts right you kind of bridged this gap for me by dropping the name Jason Isbell. This has been one of my favorite artists for the last few years since I discovered him, which was way too late in my life, unfortunately. But going back to gratitude, I'm just grateful that he's there now. Um, so he produced an album for you guys. As yeah, he he did a record called Burn, Flicker, Die for us. Uh, yeah. It, it, and it'll, it'll be celebrating 10 years this year. Uh, and, and that's just wild. That's like right when he kind of left Drive-By Truckers and went solo too. So you kind of caught him at like this point where he was breaking free from what he'd been up to. And then you guys have had Shooter Jennings um, on one as well. And I'm just, I'm always wondering, because you've been doing this for so long, you've worked with so many people. Are the differences between working with different people like this are they subtle or are they more drastic than we might think as listeners, like from the recording and like the production standpoint? They're pretty drastic. Um, everybody has a different approach to how they make records. Um, and I have been very, again, goes back to gratitude. I've been extremely fortunate in, in, in my 16 year journey to have amassed a group of friends that are wildly talented. Yeah. Um, you know, we never make records with people we don't know. So, Jason's a friend, Shooter's a friend, John Fulbright's a friend, Brad Cook, who Chicken McComico, he produced Chicken McComico. I've done three records with Brad. And Brad's worked with Bon Iver, Waxahachie, Nathaniel Rateliff. Uh, he's done like, you know, the big records. And his approach is far different than Jason's approach. And Jason's approach is way different than Shooter's approach. But I think that's the fun thing about what we do is trying to push yourself if I wanted to make the same record every time, I would have the same band, yeah. the same producer, the same studio, and it would be boring for me. But I've never made a record in the same studio twice. Like, we always go to a different, we've never made consecutive records with the same producer. Like, uh -huh. I always try to mix that up um, because I think it brings a different uh, chemistry to the table. Um, it's bound to. Um, and I think, you know, the record we made with Jason, if we'd have made, tried to make that record with Shooter, it, yes, the lyrics would have been the same. But the songs, the sounds you would get at the very end product are two totally different things. Yeah. Um, it's kind of like when if I sent my wife grocery shopping or I went grocery shopping, yes, we'd get a lot <laughs> of the same stuff, but it would be very different same stuff. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and 
and and that's kind of the analogy is like that's a perfect analogy <laughs> at the end of the day you're walking out with a buggy of sustenance but what is in that buggy of sustenance yeah yeah actually where are you based out of i'm in denver denver okay so you guys don't say buggies you say carts don't you yeah, we say shopping carts and I'm from Wisconsin, so it's the same up there. But I lived in Atlanta and on the Florida Panhandle for, I think, an accumulative of about five years. So I I can translate Southern terminology pretty well. Yeah, it, it's funny because my wife's from Long Island and they call them wagons. Oh, God. <laughs> and, and, and we call them buggies. And then I finally realized that it's just all things that horses can pull. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so, my wife's English. They call them a trolley. Oh, th th it's so great. And... <laughs> I, the first time I met my wife, I called it a buggy. And she's like, what are you talking about? And I was like, a buggy, like a, like a shopping buggy. She's like, that's called a wagon. And then one of our friends was like, that's a shopping cart. Both of you are wrong. <laughs> I was like, oh, God. The, the, the thing with American language or American version of English that my wife, being English, makes fun of us for all the time is just everything's so literal. And it's yeah. just like the sidewalk. You're not, you're not horse neck riding, you're horse back riding, that kind of stuff. And it just, yeah. uh, it's, it's endless how literal that we took the language. Oh, um, 100%. Let's go back into Burn, Flicker, Die. And I want to talk about the title track. Dollar bill prescriptions in the bathroom stall. Redheaded women and alcohol. Because I went back and listened to this album just because, like I said, I'm such a big Isbell fan. So I just kind of wanted to see like if I could notice some of his subtleties on this. Um, I'm just wondering what it was about this song, Burn, Flicker, Die, that made you all decide to name the entire album after it. Like, it's just such a striking song to me lyrically and everything. And I, it just was like, did you guys feel that way? And you were just like, or you just like the name? So, so the, the backstory for this, this was supposed to be our last record. Oh, wow. This was the swan song. This was, we called it quits about six months before we made this record. Um, we, at this point, we've been touring for six years. Um, we're making zero headway uh, in, in music. Um, and we kind of had that talk amongst ourselves, like, hey, you know, maybe we're not good enough. Maybe we're not supposed to be doing this. Like we gave it, like at that point, we were playing 300 shows a year. Wow. So at that point, it was like, we tried our best. We could hold our head high walking away because we, we tried and we weren't good enough. Like, that's fine. And what does this mean? Like, you guys had written albums. You were touring. Were you touring just locally or were you nationally touring? We were nationally. Like we were, like, we were touring nationally um, and playing every menu venue between North Carolina and California. We were wow. playing, I guess, Denver. Our spot would have been Moe's. The little barbecue, <laughs> barbecue bowling alley. <laughs> totally. Uh, down in Inglewood. <laughs> Um, that was our spot. It was like a little 75 person barbecue joint that had a bowling alley built yep. onto it. And we played shows there like every three or four months. And we were constantly on this giant, uh, circle around the country, trying to find our place, trying to find uh, a market that would embrace us. And we did, we found a few of them. Um, we also found a lot of places that we couldn't get any kind of foothold in yeah. and, uh, after six years, we realized that like we it wasn't coming to us, and so we decided to not make a record anymore. And so, at that time, we were on tour with Jason, um, and he was like, "What are you doing with these songs?" And I was like, "Ah, we're not 
doing anything with them. We're just going to call it quits. And he was like, you're going to regret it like if you don't record these songs. And so we were very lucky. Uh, he invited us down to Muscle Shoals, Alabama. Uh, we were down there for eight days. Uh, we cut this record in you know, a little less than a week and a half. Wow. Um, and he did it for a, a very, uh, very, like, it's good. Like one day I'll write a book and I'll tell how much he charged us to make a record. It's, <laughs> it was very, a small amount of money. Um, and I always, I'll, I will always have him to thank for my current career because he, he got us over that giant, uh, bump. So what moved. was the pivot point? Like what ha you guys put these songs together, got re just the excitement came back it was like no it wasn't the excitement came back it was the day the record came out like when our we never got any press before oh, okay and when burn flicker die came out it was like rolling stone and american songwriter and all of these kind of uh magazines that we appreciated or we knew about were talking about how great of a record it was and so the first show we booked after we made the record it was sold out in a place that we never pulled more than like 10 people huh and all of a sudden we're like oh that's weird and then the next show was sold out and we're like oh i think things are changing and then from there on it's been this weird exponential uphill growth and so after about two weeks after the record came out and we'd played you know 10 or 11 sold out shows we were like maybe we shouldn't quit maybe we're past that hump that most bands quit and if they'd have just went over it a little bit if they'd have just held on a little longer like we're that story we're that it's that, that plateau that's yeah it's just like you sit there and you're just like well is this what we want to do for the next 20 years because we could grind it out and do this or like do we think there's and you have to like make a decision at some point in time but what gets me is i'm just like is there something like can you was there like some sort of secret sauce do you have you guys like gone back and thought about and just been like what was it about this that we think people gravitated towards well it was the desperate it was the honesty it was that whole record is about a band who it's is raw. Failing. It, it's a whole record about a band who's failing. It's it's a it's a what not to do to find success in the music business manual. It's it's a these are the mistakes we made on the road. Any like it was almost like a if anybody ever asked whatever happened to American Aquarium, we wanted to leave them like a handbook of like why there's no band anymore. <laughs> um, this is why we quit. Unbelievable. Like this this record is why we quit. And so it's, but I think that honesty resonated with people. I, I think I was so open and I, and, I, and I always argued that's where I truly found my voice was on that record. Um, not just my singing voice, but my actual writing voice um, was on that record because I, I showed a side of me. I, I was vulnerable. Like most of the records before that were very much like machismo. It was, it was, we're a band on the road and we're rock and roll. And, okay. You know, this is, you know, chasing girls and doing drugs and drinking and having fun. And this was a record just admitting fault. This is a record being like, you know what? Like maybe a lot of the bad things that have happened in my life are my own fault. And instead of pointing my finger in uh, ex-girlfriend's direction or my parents' direction or friend's direction, maybe I should start looking in the mirror and admitting that I'm the root of a lot of my problems. And I think that kind of honesty is what resonated with people and brought more people to the table and be like, you know what? That guy gets it. That guy's being open. That guy's being honest. And I think that was the first record where I was truly transparent with people about who I was, like for better or for worse. Yeah. And I think that's, that's got to be just like a fascinating thing to look at from a songwriting standpoint of I was 
maybe writing to give people what I thought they wanted. And then exactly. the one time that I like just flip it and I look in the mirror and write what I want to say. And then that's what gets the people to like really resonate. We always joke that the record about us being failures was the record that made us successful. <laughs> that's, that's a you know, perfect, perfect irony. I wrote a record about failing in the music business and why I was quitting it. And that's why the record's called Burn, Flicker, Die. It's about trying so hard for a short amount of time. And then it's kind of like wildfire. It's the same kind of premise. It's, it's going as hard as you can until you just can't go that hard anymore. And then yeah. that, this is why after six years of playing 300 plus shows a year, your your favorite band is not playing anymore. Yeah. Okay. And, let's uh let's jump into this from like a more macro to a more micro level because there's another song that came down a little bit further down the road that I that I was listening to yesterday because I was on the I do photo and video work so I was just like on the road a bunch yesterday, and um. There's a tune that came on that I ended up listening to a few times. The luckier you get. Work, the luckier you get. And I, as, knowing that I was going to be chatting with you, I just kind of really honed in on the lyrics. And I was just wondering if it was autobiographical and if what's the story behind this one? So it's definitely autobiographical. Um, like it's just so pure. So it seems to me like hearing this story about Burn, Flicker, Die, now you're like, okay, this is what's resonating. I'm going to just give it to him. So my dad, uh, that was a thing my dad used to always say. He, he had this saying that was work hard, get lucky. I, it, it literally is tattooed across my chest. It just yeah. says work, work hard, get lucky. It's like the, the mantra of, of what my dad taught me as a kid. Um, and I wanted to write a song because as a kid, like, you know, I played sports growing up. And every time I'd lose to a kid, I'm like, oh, lucky shot or a lucky hit. <laughs> and my dad had to explain to me, like, that kid just outworked you when nobody was looking. That's all it was. That kid didn't get lucky. Like, and my dad very early on, like for better, or for worse, taught me that luck is just the intersection of hard work and opportunity. That's yeah. all luck is, is luck. Luck is the name we give it to blame it. You know, it's like, oh, that kid got lucky. It's like, no, he didn't. Like he worked harder when nobody was watching. So when the time came and people were watching, he was ready for the moment and you weren't. Mm -hmm. That's what, that's what luck is. And so in the music business, I, I always, I, I wrote that song after, uh, a publication called us an overnight success. <laughs> they were like, you know, like this band came out of nowhere. And I was like, we have oh, 14 records. That's amazing. <laughs> uh, you know, and, and it's funny because it's like a lot of people find us. They've, they've never heard of our band. Like we're, we're not on a major label. We're an independent band. I own the record label that we're on. Um, we don't have a radio single. You know, we're not on MTV. We don't have a viral video. Um, so when people find us, we're a new band to them. Yeah. Until they check Spotify and click discography and they're like, holy shit, like this band, like we literally have 16 records in 16 years. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's an incredible like, output of just creativity. Like, 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 we're not a new band. And so I wrote that almost tongue in cheek, like, who the fuck are they calling a new band? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, why would they call us an overnight success? 
And so it was about that kind of people on the outside looking at us being like, man, that band got lucky and got to tour with this guy. Or that band got lucky and gets to play the Ryman. Hmm. And it's like, no, it's just like we worked really, really hard and you're seeing it as luck, but we know that, you know, the harder you work, the luckier you get. It was almost like a tongue in cheek. And the whole story is me. It's, it's me growing up in a really small rural town and my dad telling me like, like we can't afford to pay for college. So there's a few ways for you to get out of here. It's study hard and get good grades or join the military. That's how you're leaving our town. That resonated with me because I feel like that is a story of so many of these rural Southern towns. I feel like you get this thing of like, there's two roads out of here. Well, there's a reason it's our most streamed song on Spotify. Like we don't have a song bigger than that on Spotify. I think it's been like 10 or 11 million times. Like it's, it's the biggest song we have. And I think it speaks to what you just said. It's because everybody's been in that situation. That's true. Everybody's been in that because everybody hates their hometown. I don't care if you're from Brooklyn or if you're from Reedsville, North Carolina, like I am. (laughs) Nobody loves where they're from. Like until later in life, like I truly appreciate where I'm from now. I'm pushing 40. I'm a father. I appreciate where I'm from. I see the positive. I can finally hover above that situation and see the positive of where I was from. But from birth to 18, all I could see was the negative. All I could see was a small podunk town, backwards thinking, holding me back. Mm. Um, you know, everything was about getting out of this town. Yeah. And now at 40, I find myself going back like every other week to visit my dad and eat at my favorite spot from when I was a kid. And I find like these these powerful you know, images from when I was a kid that weren't bad. Um, and so I, like, I'm not the only kid that experiences that. And so I think that's why this song at it, at its root is about working your ass off to get out of a situation that you're in or working your way out of bad situations. Uh, I think that resonates because that's, the, that's, we, another word for that is the American dream. We call that the yeah. American dream. Like yeah. there's a reason that kind of, ethos uh resonates with a a large chunk of our society it's because it's what we have to live every day it's how we all got to where we are is we weren't happy with the current situation we made the proper changes worked extremely hard and got to where we are and i think like it resonates on a couple different levels because not only does it give people something that they can relate to but it also gives them hope and just says like it's kind of this roadmap just you know, if you're not happy, make the change, but it's going to take work, but you'll get there. Yeah. It's, and I don't think the song is candy coating. It's like extremely hard work. You know, it's, you know, I think there's a line in that song about, I wrote a couple hundred bad songs till I had two or three that weren't bad. You know, it's like I had to fail a lot before I even tasted what success was. Yep. Um, so don't think that just because you work really hard, it's going to immediately come to you. It's like, it takes time. Like we talked about that plateau. It can take six years of working really, really hard before any kind of positivity comes. But I'm a true believer that there's no way you can wake up every day and work as hard as humanly possible to get something and then eventually not get it. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm I, a, I really just love the perspective that you have being able to look back and that that's going to like lead me into this last question that I have because I mean ninth studio album coming out June 10th yeah you're 16 years doing this you you hit that plateau thought it was going to be over and then you've just been on this steady incline since then I mean 
I got to just add, how does it make you feel when you look back over this span and just being like, this is what my life has, I've made this my life. Like, that's just an incredible, incredible thing to look back on and be like, that's what your goal was. And you've done it. You have more goals, but you've <coughs> taken the time to be able to reflect on this. And I'm just, I, I just have to ask, like, how does that make you feel? It's rewarding. I'd be lying if I said it didn't feel good. Um, it, it, it's a, it's a, a self pat on the back. You know, it's a, I realize there's still many miles to go to get to where, you know, I'm going to go, but taking a moment, pausing, you know, pulling over on the side of the road and realizing like, holy shit, like I said, I was going to do something when I was drunk and 20. Yeah. And I got there, you know, I, I've been, I, I haven't worked a straight job since 2007. Like I've been a professional music, music, I've been a professional musician for 15 years now. Unbelievable. Um, where the only income is from music or some derivative of music. Um, that's a really cool feeling um, as someone who, I'm 38 years old, um, you know, I'm, I'm quickly approaching uh, half my life I'll be do, playing music. You know, it's it's a neat feeling to look up and realize that like, yes, I burned a lot of bridges and, and, and threw away a lot of really great relationships and friendships, but it was worth it at the yeah. end of the day to get to get to the point where I'm at now, which is sober. I'm a father. I'm a husband. I'm happy. I can't say I was happy in my 20s. I can't say I was I was driven in my 20s. I wasn't yeah. happy. Um, so to be just as driven as I was in my 20s, still wanting to work as hard as humanly possible and be happy is that's a dangerous combination. Like, I've, oh, yeah, it is. <laughs> that's, a, that's a dangerous combination. Like, it's because, it, you know, there's a lot of people who are hungry that are unhappy. And there's a lot of people who are happy that aren't hungry anymore. Um, and I always tell the boys, I'm like, as long as we can stay happy and hungry, like we've still got some work to do. And we and there's still a possibility for us to get that work done. Um, and the ramen is it, it, ramen. You know, every time we always call these kind of things feathers and caps. Yep. Um, at the end of the day, it's another show. At the end of the day, it's one more show on a list of, you know, what is it? That's the tour. It's, you know, 70, 75 shows. It's another show, but it's a feather in the cap. It's one that we're going to take and we're going to put up there. And we get to, you know, when people ask to see the feathers in our cap, we'll get to be, one of them will be bullet point, headline the Ramen Auditorium. Uh, one of them will be played late night. One of them will be played, debuted in the uh, Billboard Top 200. They're all feathers and caps. They're yep. meaningless until you need to show off your cat feathers. That's true. <laughs> um, but but it's neat because we're at a point in our career where the feathers are starting to pile up. And every now and then when you take your hat off and you look at them, you're like, holy, like that's that's neat. Like That's 16 years worth of work um, deduced to just the greatest hits. Like this is the cool stuff that we've done. And anytime I need reminders, I, you know, I look around and in my office, like there's my grand old Opry debut parking spot uh, <laughs> thing. And, you know, my hometown gave me the key to the city and my alma mater um, had me in as a distinguished alumni to speak to students. Like so cool. little, little things like that. You look and, and uh, the feathers in the cap, I'm realizing as I'm talking to you, I kind of keep myself surrounded by them. Like I'm looking around and seeing some of the coolest things I've done in my life, all on my walls and on my shelf. And it's a, it's a daily reminder, I guess. Maybe it's subconscious, but looking up and saying, you know what, you, you did that, you did that, you yeah. did that. Like that's, 
I'm just realizing that I'm kind of surrounded by my life work. Seriously, <laughs> like how many times have you gone? How many times have you gone into that room and then it's just been like you don't recognize it? Like it's just good. Like you can just like literally sit back right now and like like the memories can come, the nostalgia yeah. piles in. It's just this incredible thing to like sit there and surround yourself with literally what you're talking about these feathers. That's so cool. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a neat thing. Um, because like I said, at the end of the day, they don't really push or pull my career in any direction but you know it's a it, they're polaroids of where i've been on this journey and that's a cool thing to go back and look through a shoebox full of polaroids everybody loves doing that like there's no there, one of the most powerful drugs we have in this world is nostalgia oh man and so, and so being able to pull down that shoebox or in my case just look at the wall it, it's a neat feeling um it's a reminder of why you're doing the hard work it's yep. a reminder of why you're leaving your family for three weeks to do a tour. It's it's a reminder of these are the prices we pay to reach the things we want to reach. And and I'm extremely lucky. You know, like I, I tell my like there's I could have done this a hundred ways and not got to where I am now. Like there's so many different things that could have gone wrong. Um and so I I'm pretty pretty fortunate that I have, you know, a wife that understands what I do. Yeah, that totally. Get, that totally supports it. Totally gets it. I've got a daughter that you know loves what I do. She comes on the road with me, and she thinks it's the coolest thing in the world that I, Daddy plays rock and roll music. You <laughs> Love know that. Like she really bums her out that I never met Tom Petty. She's like, you don't know Tom Petty, because like, no. <laughs> Tom Petty's her favorite. And she's like, you never met Tom Petty. I was like, no. She's like, Ugh. she's like, Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> she, she, it's kind of the one downfall I have with my daughters that I don't know Tom Petty. Um, but you know, hopefully one day I can introduce her to somebody in that band. Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. Mike, Mike Campbell, Ben Mon, if you're listening, like my daughter's a huge fan. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's a it's I don't know. Talking to you right now just kind of put it, a lot of it in perspective because it's something I don't think about every day because there's always a task at hand to get done. And I, and and I think one of the faults is I don't take a moment to realize the, you know, I'm all I'm kind of always looking through the windshield instead of looking in the rear view. And realizing like holy like there's still a long way to go yes but like you've came a man you've came a long way yeah that's a that's a cool feeling thanks for thanks for evoking that well we're, <laughs> we're, we're roughly the same age so like i've i've been noticing that that's a really good analogy too the the windshield versus the rear view and i'm like okay as i'm like you know 40 in october here the stuff in the rear view is slowly going to start being more than the stuff that's in the windshield i don't like to think that way but it, the reality is just reality. This, this isn't forever. And, um, and I think that that's a good thing. I think that that's one of the important things about enjoying the aging process is reflection and looking back at what you've learned. Um, I like to try and end it like this. You're tapped into the music industry. You see a lot of people, you hear a lot of people who shine a little light on somebody. Who should I try and have on next? Oh man, um, some of my favorite artists recently. I, I, there's a guy named David Ramirez, who writes incredible songs. Uh, there's a guy named John Moreland, who writes. If you like Jason Isbell uh, type stuff, if you like the stuff that we're doing, uh, John Moreland, uh, David Ramirez, uh, Joe Pug, Heard that is thing. incredible. Um, there, uh, let's see, uh, Kelsey Walden out of Nashville is pretty incredible. Uh, Nikki Lane uh, is she's got a new record. Uh, I, that was the last thing I listened to. I'm trying to think about my Spotify playlist from last week. Oh, I love it. 
Nikki Lane is pretty fantastic. There's a girl from uh, Oregon named Margot Silker, C-I-L-K-E-R. Um, her stuff is ridiculously good. Uh, Adeem the Artist out of Knoxville, uh, A-D-E-E-M. Um, constantly trying. I'm, I'm, I'm like you. I'm constantly trying to find music I haven't heard. Absolutely. Music, music that's that why moves. this. That's why we're talking, just because I just have yeah. that curious brain that's like, there's so much out there. How can I continue to try and tap into it? So um, I've got all those typed out. I can't thank you enough. Good luck with the album release June 10th. And BJ Barham, I hope to see you in Denver in August. I saw you're coming. I don't know if I'm in town, but if I am, I'm bringing my wife. If you're in town, come hang. You got it, bud. Awesome. See you, brother. Thanks. See ya. See ya. Big, big thank you to BJ for coming on and chatting with me about this new album. Go check out American Aquarium this summer. I am sure they are coming somewhere near you. And as always, for the stories behind the songs, go to songfacts.com. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.